I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pediatric Research Podcast with me, Charlotte Stoddart. This year, the journal launched a new article type, Integrated Mechanism Reviews. In these reviews, authors are encouraged to propose a new way of looking at a paediatric illness or treatment. The first one was written by Michael Portman from Seattle Children's Research Institute. Michael's field is cardiology and he frequently sees children with Kawasaki disease. Scientists have struggled to explain the origin and risk factors of this disease. Michael thinks that soy in the diet may be key. In 1967, a doctor in Japan reported a rash and severe fever in a four-year-old child. This was the first report of Kawasaki disease, later named after that doctor. It's most often seen in the under-fives, and a child in Japan is ten times more likely to show symptoms than a child in the United States. Michael explained to me how the disease begins. So what we believe happens is that there's a trigger, which is probably some sort of infectious agent, and then there's susceptibility factors, so that there's an autoimmune response. And the autoimmune response causes a generalized inflammatory reaction in the body with outward manifestations like a very high persistent fever, uh, swollen lymph nodes, particularly in the neck, uh, swelling of the hands and feet, there can be very bad inflammation, particularly of the heart. And our major concern is dilation of the coronary arteries. And these coronary arteries, in the most severe case, can develop these huge swellings called aneurysms. Is it treatable? Well, there is a treatment. The treatment is an anti-inflammatory called a gamma globulin, and that's a, a blood product. And that is effective in about... 75 to 80 percent of children in reducing the fever and also in minimizing the effect on the coronary arteries. But there's still a substantial portion of the children who are not responsive as we would like to, to the gamma globulin, and those patients are at very big risk for coronary artery disease. The reason I'm not very familiar with Kawasaki disease is because I live in Europe, but this disease is much more common in Asia, isn't it? It is much more common in Asia with a substantially higher risk in the Asian populations, yes. And do we know why that is? 
Well, that's one of the basis of my current theory. So we've done genetic studies, and the genetic studies really are not explaining why Asians, and particularly Japanese, have a much higher risk of Kawasaki disease. So the genetic studies that we've done have focused on these receptors that are called FC gamma receptors. And I told you about the gamma globulin, and the antibodies in the gamma globulin, they form complexes and they bind to these receptors which are on inflammatory cells. It happens that there are certain inhibitors of these FC gamma receptors which control inflammation. They actually control these cells and they can either um, inhibit their inflammatory reaction or activate their inflammatory reaction. So we find that they're very important, the FC gamma receptors, in determining susceptibility to Kawasaki disease and there are components in the diet, and particularly components in soy, which can affect the function of these receptors. If I understand it right, um, in the review that you've written for pediatric research, this is the first time that anyone's um, really made this link between what's being eaten and the role that these receptors play in Kawasaki disease. So it's interesting that there's been promotion of soy because it, the Asian diet is supposedly healthier, but no one really looked at the fact that, well, maybe diet was the reason for the much higher incidence of Kawasaki disease in the Asian populations. My paper, my review paper, is one of the first which addresses that issue. So the components in soy are isoflavones. So they're estrogen-like compounds, and in particular one called genistein. And in particularly, they're very high concentration in baby infant soy formulas. This link um, between soy and um, Kawasaki disease seems very strange to me because um, soy has been linked in the past to a lower risk of cardiovascular disease, which seems to be exactly the opposite. That's true, although there have been other studies which have linked soy to autoimmune diseases. So, for instance, in the early 1990s, there was a study which showed that autoimmune thyroid disease in children could be related to soy formula. Also, there's been a few studies which have related asthma, which is, in fact, an allergic or autoimmune-type disease, to soy consumption. So there have been some suggestions that immune function could be modified by soy consumption. And it's this compound genstein in the soy that you think is, is um, the one we should be interested in. And if I've got it right, the genstein inhibits a kinase that normally allows these receptors to do their job properly. Have I got that right? That's right. So the kinase is a uh, tyrosine protein kinase. And most of these FC gamma receptors are regulated by this particular kinase. But what happens is we, we don't know what the balance is between the activating FC gamma receptors and the inhibitory FC gamma receptors. So it's possible that consuming these inhibitors could change the balance between the activating receptors and the inhibitory receptors and then lead to increased susceptibility for Kawasaki disease. At the moment, this is all hypothesis. Is there any epidemiological data or other data supporting this idea? Well, there is epidemiological data of a sort. It turns out that in Hawaii, we have very good data for soy consumption for three ethnic populations, for the Caucasians living in Hawaii, for the native Hawaiians, and for the Japanese Hawaiians. 
the rate of soy consumption is obviously highest in the Japanese, but the native Hawaiians also eat a substantial amount of soy, much more than the Caucasians. We also have really good data, epidemiological data, showing the incidence of Kawasaki disease in those populations. So it turns out that there's a pretty good relationship between uh, ingestion and consumption of soy and the incidence of Kawasaki disease in Hawaii. Now, to make those assumptions, you have to assume that the children are getting about the same amount as their parents. So we, we are assuming that. We can't prove it. So we need to go on and actually figure out how much soy patients with Kawasaki disease have been consuming. And that's one of the things that we're doing right now in our research. So you're already doing these follow-on studies then? We are. So we have a population of Kawasaki patients. It's about 600, and right now we're administering a survey to the Kawasaki patients and uh, their mothers, pretty much, and they're all filling out dietary surveys that we will compare with an appropriate control group. At this stage, would you recommend um, to families with um, children who have Kawasaki disease, would you recommend that they stop eating soy? Well, to start with, I would recommend that soy formula not be used unless it's used in the indications that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. So right now, often a baby will have some sort of allergic reactions um, or maybe some diarrhea, and they call it allergic reaction, a little bit of vomiting perhaps. And, and some pediatricians are very quick to switch from whatever formula or even breastfeeding to soy formula. And I don't really think that there's much reason to do that. There are, there are other options. So I would recommend that certainly infants under six months of age not have soy formula. And after that, I don't see any reason for introducing substantial amount of soy during that critical period of first year or two of age. How much do you think diet um, and soy consumption can explain Kawasaki disease? Are genetic factors still going to be somewhat important? The genetic factors are very important. But the soy, or at least the isoflavones in soy, are contributing. So how important it is... I don't know, but at least a 10 times greater incidence in, in the Asian population we haven't been able to explain. And certainly the diet does not explain what triggers Kawasaki disease, but it does partially explain the modifying factors which would make a child susceptible to Kawasaki disease. Michael Portman from the Seattle Children's Research Institute. You can read Michael's review at nature.com forward slash PR, where you can also find out more about the journal's new integrated mechanism reviews. That's all from the Pediatric Research Podcast and from me, Charlotte Stoddart. We'll be back in May. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 